0: welcome to another episode of bench talk i'm your host tom Gerard. this week i'm catching up with a multidisciplinary californian based artist dave kinsey how you going dave
1: doing all right man nice to see you
0: yeah you too huh? thanks for taking the time to sit down and have a chat
1: yeah thanks for inviting me i'm, I'm happy to be here
0: yeah, it's great. I've um I've been a uh, long, fi- long time fan of your artwork. So um, I've seen you go through many uh, different eras of your art, and uh, I've been following your work since I think I'd like to say the late '90s, but it might be the early two thousands. It's hard to uh, recall.
1: Yeah, all the years are stacking on, man.
0: They are. They are.
1: Cool. Yeah, it's good that you know a little bit about my history because um, you know, I think you know, depending on where you are at in the art world, or you know design world and stuff like that you can kind of like people can might only know you for a few years and think like oh i've never seen this artist before but i think you have a really sort of profound perspective of like where i've started and where i came from so i think oh, it will help make this conversation really interesting
0: yeah yeah so you're um you're originally from uh, from pittsburgh but you are that you're california based now um like um, what inspired the move and, uh, and when did that happen
1: yeah, I was born in Pittsburgh. Um, and then I just, you know what, I just I actually moved around a lot when I was uh, growing up. I don't think I went to a high school for more than a year, um, which was kind of like a little bit tough for me. But I did live in, in um, Los Angeles and then for a couple years in the 80s and also San Francisco, outside the city for about a year when I was younger. And I think that experience really changed me when it came to knowing like where i could actually possibly live someday which i loved i love the culture here i love the weather obviously um and then you know once i got a design job um a year after i graduated from art school i moved to san diego and pretty much you know been here ever since that was 94.
0: yeah and i first um like came across your art sort of more through like the street aesthetic um you know like a, a yeah, you know, I was sort of watching people like, uh, you know, Mike Giant and you know Shepard Fairey and, and artists like that. And I saw, you know, you as being part of that sort of era of art and and group. Were you when you were in um, San Francisco? Were you doing much art then? Or well, that? I
1: was pretty young. I was pretty young back then. I was probably maybe like fourteen years old, maybe fifteen. Um, and I was skateboarding, and I think I hadn't really gotten wind of graffiti yet, you know. So. I mean, I'd seen graffiti in the 80s in Pittsburgh, and but I didn't really know how people did it. You know, I just would see it and think like, wow, that's fucking dope. Like, how'd they do that? And then, you know, as I got older, I started meeting people and figuring that out. But, but yeah, like living in San Francisco, I think I was a little bit be- before kind of when things started to pop off, even, even with skate, you know, but through the art world, I, I was pretty much blind to all that stuff.
0: Yeah. and when, And when did you get into art?
1: Well, i think like uh i mean i've always been making art since as far back as i can remember but i think it wasn't until i went to art school that i began to take it seriously or even was able to fathom it as a career option you know because growing up you know you know it is when you're when you're skateboarding and you're around things like you don't really see sort of an avenue to go into art as a profession so i think for me it was like i didn't really have a context for it um so i think through skateboarding and and being into hip hop and, you know, alternative music and stuff like that, I think I was exposed to art on album covers and skateboard graphics and through t-shirts and stuff like that, which made me think of, okay, cool, there's this sort of like sub genre of of art and culture that I can sort of maybe be involved with on some level. So that's kind of what got me going, I think, with at least thinking about like how I could even make something and apply it to, to another form, you know?
0: Yeah. And, um, and so with art school, like what when you went there, what was the sort of, um, were you focused mainly on painting?
1: Actually, I went to, you know, when I was in art school, like, I mean, the whole thing with me was like, my dad was basically like, you know, you can't skateboard your whole life. You know, he, he didn't really understand when I was skateboarding and he didn't really understand that whole sort of world. And so my, um, his sister, my aunt, was a commercial illustrator in New York. So I think he had a bit of reference for, how she made a living so i think you know he was just like why don't we get out in the art school and and um and the school she went to which was the art institute of pittsburgh she goes why don't we get on there and just check the school out next thing i know i was enrolled and i started classes and it's just something just clicked in me right away and i was like wow this is amazing i love this and every day i just love being in school and going in that direction and just one thing led to another and yeah just took off
0: yeah and you mentioned you're a, a graphic designer as well did did that was that a result of going to art school and then um you know it came time to make some money and was that like the the natural progression for you
1: yeah i think yeah i went into illustration and design because that was sort of the only thing i could think of applying my work to that i could you know for sort of a means of living you know um i mean i had no reference back then of like fine artists and like you know like Francis Bacon and all those people, what they were doing. I I had no sort of, I mean, I saw Warhol stuff when I was younger, but I didn't really think like that was something you could do for a living. Um, So I think when I went to art school, I thought like, okay, cool. I got to think about like how I'm going to survive off this. And so I think design and illustration sort of came naturally. And and then being involved in skateboarding, I started doing skateboard graphics and t-shirts. And then that led to like doing projects for you know, different brands and, and then starting the agency black market. So I think, you know, starting in that place was my interim initiation into the sort of like the, the fine art world or where I was going to maybe be heading towards. Um, I mean, some people, you know, they do design and illustration their whole life and they're fine with it. But I think for me, it was like, I always wanted to just do painting and drawing, but it just, the path was never there for me. It had to come later in my life, you know?
0: Yeah, Totally. It's interesting that you say that. You know, it's like those subgenres that and the subcultures that really, um, you know, inspired you creatively. Creatively, because a lot of the guests I've had on the podcast have said the similar things. Um, right. and then you look, and you're right. You know, you look at the, you go to the big galleries and you see, you know, the Warhols, Picassos, and all that. But it doesn't ever seem like a career path. It's like saying, um, you want to be a, a rock star or something. It's, you know, very few get selected. Um. But uh, it's it's through these like uh, looking at these um, subcultures, you know, like skateboarding, music, all that, where and even magazine culture from back then, you can see that there's actually other ways of making art without you know um, you know aiming for museums and you know big contemporary art galleries and stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, even when I was in art school, like all the kids in my class wanted to go work for the big agencies, and I'm like, that just seems so boring to me. Mm. You know, I want to do. I want to work in the skate industry and they used to like tease me about it and be like, you can't make any money doing that. And, you know, in retrospect, like back then you probably couldn't, you know, but like I learned how to sort of navigate that world and I, I made it work for me. Um, and then, you know, just started to lead to other things, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, when I was a little kid, I grew up in, I grew up, you know, moving around the United States, but I my parents really never turned me on to like fine art and stuff like that. I mean, I went to like museums when I was a little kid And, you know, I went to private school for like three years when I lived in Philadelphia, outside Philadelphia. And I think that experience was very much engaged in the arts, like we would do sculptures and we would do paintings and stuff like that. And I think that was the first time I really was like, wow, this is this is interesting. I never I never knew this even existed, you know, aside from just like, you know, it was sort of like looking at art the way it should be looked at, creating it the way it should be created in that context without looking at it from an alienated perspective you know
0: yeah totally yeah you mentioned before that you um you started your agency black market um can you tell me a bit about that i remember seeing it uh pop up in ads in like juxtapose and um other places but um yeah i didn't i, I knew that you had something to do with it but i didn't really know the connection there
1: yeah i mean i found a black market with a couple of other partners in 97 it originally started off with four partners and then it went down to three then it went down to two And then I ended up taking the company by myself solo. Um, But I think, you know, that whole thing was just sort of like, you know, invention is the mother of necessity where, you know, we wanted to create something that appealed to our aesthetic and appealed to the things that we were interested in. You know, it's like, you know, I keep saying skateboarding, but it was much more than that. It was like that sort of genre of people that came up. In that lifestyle, that felt alienated from all the brands that were out there and, and the advertising that was out there that spoke to them like they were dumbasses, or you know, or they would do a skateboarding ad and they would have some, you know, cheeseball kid in an ad like doing like a you know an ollie on something, and it just it just didn't look right, you know, it wasn't legit to us. And not that skateboarding should be advertised in such a literal manner, but it was just about understanding the aesthetics and being able to speak to the 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 people that you're actually trying to get attention from in a way that's, that's authentic and not like, you know, coming off as a poser. So, you know, skateboarding, you know, from skateboarding, it's very much about like, don't be a poser. You know, you have to kind of educate yourself on the culture and I think skateboarding sort of, I mean, you look at it now, like so many people come from skateboarding, you know, like Pharrell and and like uh, Virgil Abloh passed away. I mean, all those guys came even, you know, I listen to podcasts with like um, you know, Rashid Johnson and stuff, and he talks about hip-hop and skateboarding and, like, Eric B and Rakim and, you know, all these people that came from these this small genre just kind of splintered off and went into all these different directions. And now, like, you see that stuff all over the the, the mainstream world and fashion and, and fine art and all kinds of stuff. It's pretty amazing, actually. sure is. I mean, I don't think at the time we realized the power of it until it started to manifest itself, you know?
0: Yeah. Through running the agency, did you feel that you were – um Uh, losing a part of your art to to being so immersed in design?
1: Yeah, I think so. I I think like I really never thought about, you know, becoming a fine artist full time. I mean, I always made my art and I always did paintings on canvas and stuff like that, painting on boards, whatever. And I just – but I never thought like, okay, cool, this is where I'm going to go. And then I think like once I started the gallery, which was probably about four or five years after Black Market had started with the design studio – we just had all this space in our in our design studio, and so our one partner, Philip, was like, "Hey, like, why don't we throw some art up on the walls?" And like, you guys know so many artists. We're like, "Yeah, that makes sense." Like, everyone from like Ryan McGinnis and like Evan Hecox, um, people like that, like that we had connections with that we were just around. They're part of our genre. They're part of our sort of group of people that weren't getting that much love. So we just started putting art up on the walls, and I think that's what really sort of changed it for me. It was being able to have a reference for like how you can become a fine artist and actually make it, you know, in the beginning, you know, when the gallery started, it was, a, it was a game changer for me. I mean, getting to work with some amazing artists early on, like Jose Parla, Leo Gabin, Angelika Chernarski, Cole Sternberg, you know, like that experience gave me a greater level of understanding of the art as a whole and what it means to create work for yourself outside the confines of commerce or working with brands to you know, help to just drive sales, you know? Totally. And so i think that experience is when things started to shift for me and that was probably around 2000 i think three to 2000 i think four or five is when i really started to kind of think about my own work and then everything changed at that point for me you know yeah
0: yeah it's, you sort of have to um choose it don't you because otherwise life just sort of uh keeps rolling on by um i felt that with my art career i had to uh, you know i one day i had, had to just step up to it and say look i'm gonna go for this because it was sort of it was just tinkering along year after year
1: (laughs) yeah i mean you have to make a conscious decision to just go for it you know it's like you know i listened to an interview with cicely brown one time she's a i don't know if you know her work she's a painter from she's originally from the uk but i think she's now in new york she's been in new york since the 90s but she said like i only have a plan a there's no plan E. there's no plan b so i have to make plan a work and i'm like that's totally like the way you got to be, you know, if you're a fine artist, you have to be like, okay, this is my full-time job. I have to get up in the morning and I have to get downstairs and paint and do my work all day long, whether I like it or not, because otherwise you're going to be working somewhere else that you probably won't like, you know? So that's kind of like my perspective, you know, and, and, you know, you come from the agency world too. So you understand that, you know, that stuff is like, you know, it's just, it's like an ongoing cyclical um, process is just constantly trying to Engages the customers in a new way to buy your stuff. And it just starts to get kind of like, it starts to feel a little bit um, vacuous and, and, and dull over time, you know?
0: Totally. Like I, I've, I've I'm, you know how the Vikings used to burn their boats? Like I'd find new land and they'll, they'll burn their boats so they can't sail back. They'll go, oh, no, wow, we're, 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 we're in. Where 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 we're going to make this work, and I feel like that's what I've done with my art career as well. Like, because ha- I've experienced all the agency world, and I was constantly trying to please other people with my creativity, right. and it was and it was a nightmare. I had so many sleepless nights over like just not knowing that I haven't hadn't quite nailed a design or a brief or something, and I don't get that in the studio, and uh, I feel like I've burnt my boats and. I'm in on this and i'm uh, i'm never never going back i'll, I'll never have an i'll never work for anyone again
1: <laughs> yes i feel oh. the same way i mean i get offers sometimes do design projects and like you know i'll do stuff here and there for you know things that i feel like i connect with but for the most part like when i get on the phone they're like hey like you know we love your work and we want to like you know get on the same page and just you know just the the lingo they use and just the angle they have with me it just it just it kind of just makes me like get turned off i mean maybe because i've done it for so long and i just kind of like been through that whole process i mean the money's great sometimes you know but but at the same time like you're advocating for brands and things that might not be against you that might be against your morals i mean i personally never took on projects that went against my personal morals like cigarette advertising or advocating for military recruitment which actually we actually had the the army contacted us to do a campaign for them we're like hell no you know like I mean, whatever, like militaries are important, I think on some level, but I think like advocating for it to recruit people, I think is just sort sort of like brainwashing. And I just didn't really feel like I want to be a part of that, you know?
0: Totally. Totally. Yeah. But do you, do you do any client work though?
1: Do I do client work now? Yeah. No, not really. I mean, no. um, like I said, I just, I'll do like little design projects, like logos for, for people with like a shoe brand that hit me up about doing something a few years ago. And like I did something for a gala event at one of the uh, museums down here, stuff like that. But I think I try to keep it sort of under, I, sort of, I try to keep it somewhat tame so it doesn't take away too much from my studio work. Cause I, I invested so much time and energy and years into what I'm doing now that I can't just like, I can't just all of a sudden shift shift focus, you know, from mm. where my mind is, you know, where I need to focus on, on my goals, you know?
0: Yeah, but even even with your artwork, do any um, brands hit you up to do anything with them? Because I know a lot of artists do do work with brands.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes. I mean, a lot of times it's not stuff that I jive with, you know, um, or I don't see my work fitting in with what they're doing. So a lot of times I'm like, it's really not of interest. Um, but I think a lot of people know now that I'm focused on my fine art career, so I don't really get a lot of traffic coming in to that place, you know. Um, which is good, I guess, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I get, you know, I, I think if, if maybe if my work was getting a ton of attention and I was on the level of cause, then, you know, people want to align themselves with artists who can, you know, connect them with a million followers or 2 million people, you know, then I think it changes, changes a little bit. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens in the future. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Like I've, I've done a little bit of it, but I find the, the, the thing for me that I quite like about it is being on the other side of the client. Like, you know, when right. you work, when you work for design agencies or, you know, you're trying to please the client all the time. Whereas, right. you know, you walk into the the office for the meeting and they, they you know, they get you a coffee and they're like, they're, they're trying to get your business and trying to, uh, you know, recruit you in a way get you to say yes to the project and it's uh it's just so nice being on the other side of the
1: glass (laughs) yeah it is you know you 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 know you don't you don't have to compromise your style to to try to like appease the creative director you know um i think like but you know on the flip side of that you know when i got so used to people coming to me with with an objective and with an understanding of what they want to achieve and 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 me having a goal of like okay cool like this is where I'm going to go this is what I'm going to do now it's like when you're more autonomous with your work and your ideas and your direction like it's it's a totally different world it's it's kind of took me a while to kind of get used to that change in sort of thinking you know where you have to kind of like create your own sort of brief and create your own sort of objective and create your own sort of understanding of like why why are you doing this like what are you doing it for who are you talking to you know those types of things I've had to learn to sort of like shape my own path, which has been difficult for me in the beginning, but I've learned to sort of um, kind of hone in and better as I've, you know, gotten more into this place, you know?
0: Yeah. But I feel when you've got, um you know, a, say a 40 hour week to work that out for yourself, there's, um, you know, you can come up with some cr- pretty creative ways of doing things the way that you want to do them uh, to Absolutely. carve out, carve out your own, <laughs> own career, you know, because when you're working for other people, you're at the mercy of, being told what to do and, uh, absolutely
1: yeah, yeah. And i think like i think the hardest part with with me is when i started to when things started to overlap where my fine art started to take off and i was still doing design projects and the gallery i think my work suffered a lot and i there was a couple shows i did where i would start having i would start having dreams like like two weeks before the show that like, I didn't have any work done and the show was in two weeks. And I was like, fuck, you know, and then I wake up and I'm like, okay, cool, I do have some pieces. But you know, that whole pressure I had of trying to do all these entities, juggling all these tasks at hand was really a challenge. I don't even know how I did it. Like when I think in retrospect, when I think about it, I'm like, how did I do that? I mean, I had a staff and stuff like that, but um, but you know, to, to be on meetings all day and then also, trying to design at night, and then the galleries constantly happening and there's things going on with that. And at the same time, I'm like, I'm painting at night to try to finish work to be sent out for shows. You know, it really just, my work took a hit, you know, and, and I, I could tell by some of the galleries I worked with, I would send the work and I think that they kind of felt like it had been compromised a little bit. One time it happened specifically because I, I just got too busy and I booked a show and projects came in and I just had to sort of juggle it, but that's been the nicest thing just to throw all that stuff off my back and just, focused on like the painting's got to be the best they can ever be. And I'm fully 100% focused on, on making this work, you know?
0: Yeah. That's awesome. I'm sure you feel the same. Oh yeah. I've been there. And I, I, my, my problem is I know when I'm like that because I dream that I've been working and then I wake up in the morning and there's this whole day's work that didn't actually happen. And I feel (laughs) a bit deflated. And then I've got to go off and do work again. (laughs) It's
1: (laughs) It's like a nightmare.
0: Yeah. That happened a lot when I was a graphic designer. Um, especially when I was stuck um on a brief. Uh, That's funny. Yeah. You think you've nailed it and you haven't. <laughs> yeah. 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 But anyway, uh moving on. Um, like I read that a pivotal shift in your art happened in 2010 when you moved to the Sierra Nevada mountains, like north of Los Angeles. Like, right. um, can you tell me about that uh transition in your career?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was that was kind of a game changer for me. I think like all these things kind of came into play at the same time. Um, I think the financial crisis was starting to take hold in, in the art world, so sales were slowing down. Um, I had bought a year before that, I bought a house up. I bought like a little s- small house up in the mountains adjacent to the Sequoia National Park, which is about four hours north of LA. And it was just sort of like a getaway, you know, but it ended up becoming like a life changing destination. It's where my work really started to flourish and take shape. And so, I think what happened was, I think, like a month before the the lease was due to be redone on the building, or the lease was coming up due on the building, I had a pipe break underneath the house up there that created this massive landslide and ripped off the hill. And it was just, it was pretty crazy. It was pretty catastrophic. And so it kind of forced me to not renew the lease and move up there to try to like fix the house and deal with the renovations, which took almost three years in total between like, you know, the getting the insurance claim finalized and the money from that. And then also finding, finding the right people to build up there because it, the environment's very, you know, it's a very treacherous environment. It's very, you know, there's a lot, it was on the side of a very steep hill. So you can't just get like any old random company to come up there and like, you know, how do you, how do you fix this? You know? So that took a bit of time. And so I think through that whole process, that whole thing just like, kind of like pushed me off the cliff to become like, either make it or break it you know like this is where you have to go now and i just went with it and it just yeah it changed everything for me and it, i didn't really realize it it would happen that way but when it did I, I was so thankful that it did because it really relieved a lot of the stress of just like trying to do too much at once and everything kind of just built over the years and i didn't realize it and then i got stuck in all these entities and it was yeah just it was like serendipity but you know after 5 years of living there it was time for me to move back to a more urban environment I mean, I love the isolation to a certain extent, but after a while it starts to, you know, five years can go by there super quick and you're like, what the hell just happened? You know, like the seasons blend together and it becomes like, you you start to feel like, you know, that book, um, what's the book that Henry Thoreau wrote in the woods, you know, where he went on isolation for like years on end and tried to like, just write about what he was feeling. That's Mm kind of like, you know, if you've ever read that book, that's, you know, it's pretty crazy
0: yeah so with that time spent in the sierra nevada is that when you really started to explore these um more surreal like uh desert scenes within your paintings
1: yeah because when i lived up there you know i started mimicking the environment around me i didn't really realize it at first but then i realized like oh i'm I'm pulling these mountains and these sort of like you know the colors you see in the sunsets up there from from the environment around me and i think yeah my work changed a lot up there became sort of for a lack of better words like surrealist in a sense, because I think the first show that I did was at Library Street Collective in Detroit, and it was called Cushion of Memory. And the whole show was basically based on the fact that like, we have memories and we have dreams. And then when you sort of um, when you start to think of those things again, later in your life, whether it's like the next day or, or a week later or years later, those images become sort of fragmented in a way. So you kind of when I put these pieces back together, they're sort of like somewhat um Separated from their original form, they're a little bit. They're not totally understandable, like the way you see them. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. But it's kind of like what I, that's what I was trying to do with the pedestals and putting the the pieces on top of the pedestals because ped, the pedestals for me at that time were a way to sort of present the idea or to present the dream or the memory that I was trying to, to sort of think about. You know?
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, you've um, you've really evolved them and taken them in so many different directions It's um yeah I, I love those love those works you've done a done a great yeah, thanks, job of, of evolving them as well because you can they can be really stripped back and really minimal and also almost like there's not much light in the painting and then you can have other ones it's like it's different times of day different settings and different lighting and it's um
1: yeah and that, that all came from the, that environment I mean you remember my work before it was very much like it was very chaotic and crazy it was very layered and I think like you know I was inspired by more of an urban setting and and kind of the chaos that was going on within the city you know all the traffic and the people and and the smog and just you know just all these things happening at once and then when i went up there it became this environment where everything became way more simplified in my life and i think my paintings in return became more simplified visually um and so i started to incorporate that into my work and now my work is kind of yeah my work's gone through so many different iterations i mean especially in the past three years i think has been the most I've sort of like been really pushing myself to try to like experiment with different stuff. And even if I, even if I make a body of work, you know, I might make like 10 or 12 pieces in a certain sort of like with a certain idea or style, but for me, they're kind of like more like experimental exercises or not necessarily works that I'm going to maybe show. I mean, I'll still post them on Instagram and I'll still make the work, but I kind of feel like I have to go through that process to get to the other side for the final result of where I'm going to be, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, art's a journey, isn't it? Um, I've is. been, yeah, I've been looking into, uh, you know, lots of uh, uh, like artists' careers and the um, just how they change over over time and through the decades. And I think, um, and I really have highlighted that uh, a lot of my favourite artists have had the most diverse careers. And I think it's really important for artists to um, not hold on to where they're currently at and continue to explore and see where their art can go. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because I think at some point, like when I was doing my older stuff, I kind of started to feel like it was ex- it, it's what was expected of me. And I kind of feel like I was almost becoming like a parody of myself, mm. you know, by doing the same work over and over. And I just felt like I really needed to sort of like shake that up a bit. And I think, you know, when I moved to the mountains, I had that opportunity, you know, and um, I think like even when I had the gallery, I was watching lots of the like, ART 21s you do on PBS. And that's how I got exposed to like you know, Mark Bradford and um, all these different artists like Ellen Gallagher and artists that I'd never seen before and people that are kind of under the radar of like of regular life. I think when we see like, you know, artwork as a whole, you think of like Picasso or Van Gogh, but these people are like, these people are creating exceptional work and but on a grand scale known as who they are. So I started to really learn a lot about that. And then when I went to the mountains, I started like you, I started just reading a lot about fine art and watching videos and, and reading interviews and stuff like that to sort of really fine tune. It was kind of like my way to sort of give myself an autodidactic way of, of getting sort of an MFA in a way, or, you know, like bettering my, my craft. I mean, I, I actually was thinking about maybe going back to art school to get my MFA, but then, you know, once I saw like how much it would cost, I was like, I don't know if I could do this. You know, it was just—it's the time and energy and money I would I had to put into it. I think would have been, would have been really tough for me. You know, at that time, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like I um, I, I know what you're saying about the, the all these unknown, unknown to us artists. Like, because I've you know been in in into art in one way or another for I don't know over thirty years. And I was doing, I was watching a video on YouTube the other day, and it was all about the most uh, successful contempt like artists of today. And I'll talk right. about uh, different genres like painting and sculpture and conceptual art and everything. And even with the painting, I hadn't heard of that many of the artists, and I was really blown away that they can be these, uh, you know, like some of the big, like the most successful artists of today. And there's to me, they're still unknown, even though how immersed in art I am. And um, you know, it's you can think it's it's easy to think of the big names, you know, like Cause and you know artists such. Like that, you know, Hockney and all that. But um, it, there's all these other artists out there that, that I I can't believe that I'd never even heard of.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's artists out there that are selling paintings for like millions of dollars, and they're, they're doing well, and they're they're living a great life. But like in the context of reality, and in the in the broader sense, like most public, most people in the public don't even know who they are. You know, even when you look at like the the uh, the the Bean in New York, or I'm sorry, not in New York, in Chicago that Anish Kapoor made. You know the big chrome beam mm-hmm. beam yeah. that he made. He made that a long time ago, and it, most of the people that go there don't even know who Anish Kapoor is, and w- all the stuff he's created. I mean, if you look at his whole, his whole uh, trajectory and his oeuvre as as an artist, it's it's incredible. You know, like I when I went to I went to Italy last year uh, for my honeymoon, and we went to the the Venice Biennale, and I think he actually just bought like a whole building there and it's gonna be his foundation. And they just opened it up in conjunction with the Biennale and it was it was like four or five floors of his work and it was just like I was blown away. I mean I'd seen his work for probably like 15 years, but to actually see you know 30 or 40 years of his work in one place and see how many different iterations it went through and all these different ideas, it was it was it was pretty much it was like you know awe inspiring to say the least.
0: Yeah if you can find like uh the right setup for your career i guess like a good like a, say a really good gallery that's just selling lots of your paintings or or you get in a run of really good opportunities that are well paid it sort of puts you in a position where not, you don't have to worry about growing your name so much and you can really focus on just doing your art and uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds that's, like that's what he's been doing
1: yeah i mean that's the happy medium that you can find you know where you're an artist and you can be making stuff and getting commissions and doing shows and you know and just live your life and make your place in the world you know
0: yeah totally totally so um so i'm really interested in hearing more about your uh, the relief pieces and um how did you arrive at them from um coming from the paintings did you like how, what's the story there
1: well i think with the relief pieces like what i said before is like i kind of like in 2019 i kind of started to feel a little bit um kind of jaded in a way for lack of better words by just sort of the 2D the 2D form or, you know, painting with just acrylic on canvas. It seemed so flat to me and I kind of wanted to disrupt that a bit. So I actually started making the sculptures first. You know, I went to the Mojave Desert and I was spending some time there and I came back and I just started like cutting wood shapes to emulate some of the ethereal shapes I was seeing in the desert fauna. And then those pieces became sort of the first sculptures I made and then I started to transfer into making like the smaller maquettes you know that you can I mean the thing I like about sculptures is I liked how you can like you can touch them you can, they, they some of them rotate you can circumambulate the pieces and get a sense of how they work within the real world when interacting with the public space and I think that kind of starting the sculptures for me kind of brought me back to the place of when I used to do work on the streets and you can put work in the public space and people can actually look at it and enjoy it of all kinds you know, it's not really regulated to just like a gallery setting or in someone's house or a private collection, you know, museum or something. So I think like I wanted to sort of like, and my my paintings too, like the start of the Mountains, they had sort of a sculpture-esque feel to them because they were on the pedestal. So I started to think like, okay, cool, I want to try this. And so when I was making the sculptures and I thought about going back to painting, that's when I started to think about, okay, cool, how can I make, how can I disrupt this space, you know, where I'm not relying as much on this 2d form i can bring some dimension into it, and that's how i sort of took the sculptures and started bringing them back into the pieces and that that's how i created a relief series you know
0: mm. and did you have um do you have other people doing similar work around you was there anyone inspiring you to take that path or was it just um just came from yourself
1: my pretty much came from myself but i was looking at a lot of work by like you know alberto burry and uh, you know, Louis Nevilleson's work I really like. I've always loved Calder's work, um, even since I was like a little kid and I first saw his piece in the in Philadelphia um when I was in private school. And like I think I kind of just I kind of just fell into it, you know. I just think it just kind of felt natural for me to do that. Um I had a bunch of wood laying around from some projects I'd done on the house and I just started cutting it up and I thought like, oh, maybe I can stick these down and I started working, with, I wanted to work with different materials. So I started using like, um, you know, marble dust mixed with polymer emulsion and acrylic. And that's how I made the base. And that started to build up the layering with the wood and then put that on top of it. And they sort of had this really interesting sort of um, visceral thing with them, you know, how it wasn't just the piece like itself as a 2D form. but It became something you could, if you touched it and you walked around it, it had this sort of like dimensionality to it that I really was drawn to. But then like now that I've gone through that whole process, which I went through over the past few years, I'm kind of back to, okay, cool. I'm going to like paint again, but I kind of have this understanding now, um, that I went through that whole process, which I think made me better in the end. You know?
0: Do you understand the shapes in your paintings more now that you've done the sculpture?
1: Maybe. I mean, I think I've always, I think the hardest thing for me with sculptures, I look at some people, like when you look at like, um, you know, Michelangelo sculptures, like I have a really, or Bernini, I have a really hard time sort of fathoming, fathoming how they actually can erase away the stone or the marble because you can't really like, you can't change it. Like once you take a part out of it, you can't put it back. Maybe if you're working with steel, you know, but when you're working with like, you know, marble, like you have one shot, you know? So I look at, to think about things in that context. I mean, I, I have a, I probably have a pretty good understanding of like, dimension when I paint like naturally I can understand like okay cool you have reflecting light coming this way and you have like the light source coming this way and it creates this effect but I think when you try to actually make that as a 3D form it's a whole different ball game you know so I think going through this process made me appreciate that a little bit more you know
0: sure and like through making the sculptures is that how you got the opportunities to do public sculptural work was that just uh, the stepping stones
1: yeah, so that, it actually all kind of just fell into place. Like once I made the, the first pieces that were small, um, I showed them to one of my collector friends and he's like, let's make all of them. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, let's make all of them. Okay, okay cool. So we ended up producing three and I wanted to kind of experiment with materials. So the first one I did was in um, aluminum and the second one was done in bronze and I did one more that was um, old growth redwood. So I want to kind of get a feeling of like, what's the best material that works best with the work that I'm doing a, and lends itself best to the environment. Um, I think bronze is my favorite because it's just like it's bomb proof and it looks great as it patinas over time and it changes, you know, with the environments around it. Um, but I think with the sculptures, you know, it's like I made the first three pieces and I ended up getting a few more commissions after that. Um, and I end up starting to work with solid slab aluminum, which is a lot more sturdy. But, you know, I think um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's much different. It's a much different world than, than working with paintings because, you know, you, the, the projects are really far out. You know, some, I have some projects now that I'm in the queue with the people are talking to me about doing. And, you know, they're talking like two, three years out, you know, so, and, you know, the, the, they're very expensive to make and they're, they're not easy to move and, and set up and you have to have permits. You know, building inspections and all this stuff has to go through, so it's 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 a much different, much different game. So I think that's sort of something I'm, I kind of keep on the sidelines now, and I keep nurturing it, but I'm I'm mostly focused on the painting at the moment. You know, but I love doing sculptures. I mean, I wish I can get more and more commissions. It'd be just great, you know, to see those things out in the world.
0: Yeah, that's like that's a dream for me. One one of these yeah, and when you
1: see like Henry Moore stuff, you know, I don't know if if you you know his stuff.
0: Yeah, I do. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like Henry Moore stuff, and you know, you see his stuff out and around. I mean, he did so much stuff; it's incredible.
0: Yeah, at the um, I, I lived in Barcelona for a while, and at the end of my street, there's a big uh, Liechtenstein sculpture, and so I got to oh, walk yeah. past it every day, and that was, that was for me a, like the first time I'd really thought about, um, you know, a painter trans um, transitioning into public sculpture, and and to see how he approached it, and he really owned his painting style within the sculpture it's um yeah that it's it, uh, since then i'm really uh interested in seeing how painters transition into the public sculpture because um yeah
1: i think it's, it's it's almost like uh par for the course you know I, I feel like once the artist gets a certain level of exposure um i think they eventually start making sculptures or at least you know try to mm-hmm. try to enter that world a little bit you know on some level
0: yeah but i I like how you have to um make you know start making the sculptures it's not you're not just going to get someone offer you uh opportunity to do something like that without um having done all the work first you know and showing them that you can actually produce something
1: yeah i mean i see i see stuff like um i get a lot of open call emails and stuff from projects that are going on around the world and you know a lot of times they want like you know they want like they want like firefighters they want something that appeals to like you know a certain type of social awareness so a lot of them don't really apply to the work that i do so a lot of them are kind of hard to apply apply to you know so but you know what i started doing is i started making the um I, once i started getting a handle on the sculptures i started making them smaller as just cardboard sort of maquettes and then i would take those and i'd vectorize them and then i would take the vector shapes and i'd pull them into this program called adobe dimensions and i would it's a really sort of rudimentary 3 program that they have and uh build them out and then i can mock them up in different environments and then i can also take that file um, which i would transfer into an ar file and then you can put that on your phone and i was using the ar files which is augmented reality and you can you can email people though or you can send people those through a text and then they can open on their phone through their camera and they can walk around the piece you can film it you can look at it so i've been kind of like doing those as sort of um, in the interim while I'm waiting for projects or, you know, to try to get other projects. And I think that's a really useful tool, you know?
0: Totally. So, being, being that some of them take like three years to get off the ground. Uh, do you find that by the time the piece is done uh, that your art's moved on?
1: Sometimes. I mean, the last one I did up in Los Angeles because of the pandemic, it took about probably two and a half years. And then at the end I already had other ideas that I liked I think a little bit more just because I became more developed in, in under my understanding of like making sculptures. I mean, it's not to say the piece didn't look great and I loved it and the collector was happy too, but I think like, I'm always like, yeah, I wish this process was a little bit faster, you know?
0: Yeah, sure. I love the immediacy of painting.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Um, so m- moving back to your painting, um, like you've been uh, exhibiting st- uh, steadily over the past like 20 plus years um exhibitions are a major part of your art practice
1: i mean yes and no i mean i I try not to make work with a show in mind but you know we all have to produce art um you know for our income so that it always comes into play but the gallery um is a stage you know where you present perform your final work so i think that's an important component of like the sort of final outcome of when you're producing a, a body of work is to be able to eventually show it you know um but I think now with Instagram and, and social media and stuff like that, I mean, you know, I think the galleries changes that context a little bit because so much, so many people are, you're getting so many more views now on social media than you would actually having work in a physical gallery, you know?
0: Yeah. But I, I think that it's, um, you know, art's always best viewed in, in the flesh, in my opinion. And, um, Absolutely. I, I, I really see galleries as an opportunity to, to build a body of work and to, um, to create, uh, a cohesive, you know, experience for the viewer. Uh, whereas yeah. if, if, if like on Instagram, it's just piece, here's another piece, here's another piece. Whereas, um, it's good to have some narrative behind a body of work.
1: Yeah. And you know, you're looking at a phone that's like super small. It's like a fraction of the size of the original painting. I mean, some works that I see on Instagram, I'll go to the actual show and I'm like, oh, wow, it looks better on Instagram. But then some works on Instagram don't even, Come close to the original, and then when you see the original, like Mark Bradford's work, then you're like, "Holy shit! I didn't notice there was all this paper in here, you know, or this relief, or all this like detail that you, that, that you can't really see on a phone." And it's kind of does a disservice to the art in a way. Like when you look at like movies, you know, it's like our our cameras and our technologies are getting better for filming, but then our our viewing space is becoming smaller, you know, because we're looking stuff on our phones, you know. So it's like it's like where do you sort of find that happy middle ground? And I do I, I do definitely think that, like, showing work in galleries is ultimately is is, is the best place to see work because you have to see it in person, you know. Even with my works, you know, I have a lot of collectors say that when they get the work in person, they think it looks so much more, has so much more depth to it that you just can't see in a digital space, you know.
0: I totally agree. So, so who are some of the galleries you're showing with these days?
1: Well, actually, right now, I don't have any representation. Um, so most of the shows I've been doing have been group shows of curators um you know a lot of the galleries I was working with in the 2000s either went out of business or you know their programs changed and I think my work changed as well so I think it sort of didn't really fall into the same place um I mean luckily I've been able to survive on my own for the most part but I think like I do understand the importance of a gallery and I'm kind of working towards that now I think with this new body of work that I'm I'm building right now. I'm I'm talking to some people right now about how to get these works into a gallery. So, you know, it's just a matter of time, you know?
0: Yeah, sure. And um, with your exhibition history, have you focused uh, mostly on the U S or have you shown overseas as well?
1: well? I've shown all over. I mean, in the two thousands, I was showing in like I've done shows in Italy, Germany, Switzerland, France, UK, Japan, Australia. I mean, a lot of them are group shows. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's weird because when I had the gallery and I had all that stuff going on, I feel like I was traveling so much and doing so many shows, you know, um, it was kind of a weird time, you know, it's like, it was just kind of like happening at that moment, you know? Um, so I was very, I was very happy to be able to travel to so many different countries. And it was like, you know, the nice thing about it too, it was, it was free travel and I got to experience different cultures and different people and, you know, get my work into different collectors in different countries, which is awesome. You know, so,
0: yeah that's awesome i yeah. I love um yeah i love when, uh, when opportunities come for um overseas exhibitions because otherwise you're just thinking how, how the hell am i going to get my artwork in front of these people <laughs> without yeah, opportunities I mean, coming up
1: totally and you know when i was i remember in the 90s like i was getting like when i first put my website up i started getting emails from people in the uk and germany i'm like how do these people find me you know, it's back when there was like not really a lot of websites around, you know. So I think like maybe through the search engines, you know, they found me or something or through interviews. But I mm-hmm. thought I was so that someone on the other side of the world that you have no relationship with or have never met can connect with something you're doing and and end up like buying a piece of artwork for you and then you ship it to them. I thought that was just so amazing. And, you know, and yeah, I mean, you when you get opportunities to travel, I mean, a lot of shows I did over the years, it's just because I had an opportunity to travel and I thought, well, I never been to Zurich, Switzerland. I might, I should do a show here. You know, like it's, it would be a new experience. Just never see what happens, you know? So.
0: Yeah. I used to plan my holidays around exhibitions and be like, <laughs> all right. All right where you know, you know, list a few cities I'd like to check out somewhere in the world and then uh, try to get a, a solo show in a gallery there and work towards that. And if it came off and be like, all right, that's where we're going traveling, you know, yeah, I mean, an, that's like- a, Asia or the Americas or Europe or something. Yeah. yeah
1: so. I mean, that's the sweet spot, you know, with, with being an artist is if you can, if you can cater to, you know, the things that you like and, and shift everything in that direction, then yes, yeah, you you know, you're going to get a lot in return from it for sure.
0: Definitely. All right, Dave, you are, you ready for some uh, rapid fire questions. Let's do it. Alrighty, righty. Um, name one artist who you think deserves more shine.
1: David Ellis. Yeah. I don't know if you know his work, but he's probably one of the most talented people I know that's sort of like a, sort of a peer of mine.
0: All right. I'll look him up. Is that Ellis with E-L-L-I-S?
1: E-L-L-I-S. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Before we get into
0: the next section of the podcast, I want to take a moment to say a special thanks to today's sponsor, the Art Career Academy, a new online school for the career artist. This academy supports artists to build the art career they desire and I'm especially excited to let you know that I'm on the teaching staff of this innovative school. So if you're frustrated and not knowing how to build your art career and you want to feel confident and clear on the pathway forward, then head to artcareeracademy.com to go on the waitlist for the November intake of their course, Going Pro. If you feel like this is for you, then we'd love to have you join us. Okay, let's get back to the episode. All right, Dave, are you, uh, you ready for some uh, rapid fire questions? Let's do it. All righty. Name one artist who you think deserves more shine.
1: David Ellis. Yeah. I don't know if you know his work, but he's probably one of the most talented people I know that's sort of like a sort of a peer of mine.
0: All right. I'll look him up. Is that Ellis with E-L-L-I-S?
1: E-L-L-I-S. Yeah. Yeah, sure.
0: Okay. uh, What's one medium you'd love to work with?
1: You know, I'd really like to try oils more i have tried them in the past but i think they slow me down too much um you know because when i you know when you get into a flow of painting you really just want to roll with it so i think maybe in time i think with the new work that i'm producing i think it lends itself to oil more so we'll see
0: yeah i completely agree i thought uh that you'd already been using oils but uh yeah
1: it's funny because a lot of people think that i paint with oil because the way i paint but i'm like no it's just the way i blend you know i think i try to use acrylics in a way that looks like oil um, Just by the, the way I apply the paint, you know, but yeah, it's, it's all acrylic. Mm. I mean, it's nice because you work fast, but at the same time with these new pieces I'm doing, there's so, there's so much detail and there's so much shading that like, I'm just kind of like, I got to really just work fast, you know, and just kind of hope for the best.
0: Yeah. Um. So what's one school you wish you had?
1: Probably playing the piano. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's probably one of the most incredible instruments ever created aside from maybe the violin, you know, it's just, but I just never... I don't know. I don't think I ever it was something I ever was around when I was younger, you know? So
0: can you play any instruments? No, no.
1: Just listen to music. That's all. Yeah.
0: Same here. Yeah. <laughs> I listen to a lot of music. Can't sing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> can't sing, can't play any instruments.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love music, man. It's just yeah. been like, a, so, such an important part of my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Same. Um, who are some of your favorite artists?
1: Oh man, there's so many. You know, it varies so much, I mean, but historically, I'd say like probably like Caravaggio, Giuseppe de Robert, Henry Moore, Franz Klein, um, Alberto Burri. I mean, even like Georgia O'Keefe, you know, like her stuff I think is a bit cliche to some people, but she's an incredible painter. And I think she was way ahead of her time. You know, Elaine de Kooning. And I think when it comes to more contemporary people, I'd say like Mark Bradford, Julie Moretu, Cheva Beckman, um, Neo Rausch, Avery Singer, Christina Quarles, Thomas Housego, Anish Kapoor maybe, and probably Adrian Genhi, Jeannie, Adrian Genie. Um, I mean there's so many. I have so many art books and I've looked at so many artists over the years. There's just it's amazing there's so many artists right now that we have exposure to. It's it's, it's such a great time.
0: Yeah. I think it's great when like an artist comes on your radar, then you you buy a book on them and then you can really like I find once I buy a book from an artist and I, I read the book and I really absorb it, they, they become, usually become one of my favorites.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and then sometimes like you, you see an artist that you've never heard of and they're like, you know, they're like in their eighties and you're like, who is this person? You know, then you watch a podcast or read an interview or you get their book, like you said, and, and and you're just like blown away by how much work they made and how amazing they were. And then, and then you're like, fuck, how come I never knew about this person? Yeah. You know, I remember when I was in art school and I started discovering jazz you know, all this amazing jazz. I got like, I got so mad. And I'm like, how come no one ever turned me on to this? You know, when I was younger, all this incredible music, like Donald bird and like, um, you know, all this stuff that was made in the fifties, like late fifties, early sixties, jazz, there was just incredible stuff, you know, like I Quebec and stuff like that. I was just like, wow, this is amazing.
0: Yeah. I know. I've only got into jazz over the last say three years and I bought a ton of like blue note records and everything i've just i've just really immersed myself in it and the thing i'm gonna, that,
1: s- I'm, I'm gonna send you a link
0: yeah all right that'd be great one of the things up. i love about jazz though um and and part of the culture of jazz was there um the way they collaborated and they all played on each other's albums and they never were tried to form a super group or you know they let each um musician shine on their own album it doesn't matter who was their support
1: yeah and a lot of times they would improvise and it would just they would just sort of go into the flow and go into these jams and just go on for like 10 minutes, you know?
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll make a list for you. I, I had a really good friend, um, when I lived in San Diego, he was like the jazz connoisseur of all, t- of all times. And he turned me on to so much great stuff. And, um, yeah, it's, that's great music, man. There's so much great music out there.
0: There is. I love it. Um, what of us would you give your younger self?
1: These aren't really rapid fire questions, right? <laughs> no, no, no.
0: No, they're, they're fine, man.
1: <laughs> what advice would I give my younger self? Man, there's so many things I would have told myself, seriously. I think probably... I probably would have went to, to art school for fine art, um, you know, since I prefer this space right now. But back then, like I said, you know, it was it didn't really seem attainable because I really didn't have a reference for that place or context. Um, I think maybe just maybe taking my time a little bit more with, with my career and, and maybe not getting into bed with with certain people. Um, commercially, or, you know, from a business perspective, I think I probably, you know, when you're young, you're very ambitious and you, you always hope for the best, but then, you know, you, you end up learning the hard way, you know, and it doesn't always work out. So I think I've learned a lot from from those decisions when I was growing up. I mean, you, you can you can only learn from your decisions. If you don't, you're pretty much screwed, you know?
0: yeah i agree i agree um
1: you know it's like it's like when you see young kids now and they, they think they know so much about the world and you're just like man you guys are clueless
0: yeah you know like you know, we, we were what's that? <laughs> that what's that we were that
1: yeah yeah for sure yeah we were I, had all
0: it a, like, I, I thought i had it all figured out at 16 years old
1: yeah everyone's like anti-authority you know it's, we were all anti-authority back then all the skateboarders and people on the hip-hop and and you know alternative and punk you know, it's all about like, don't tell me what to do. You know,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: so and I think it was great on one hand, but the thing on the, on one another hand, it like, I think it made may some people probably lose direction. You know, I know. yeah, if I you agree. can't think for yourself.
0: Yeah. So um, so do you keep regular work hours?
1: I mean, not really. I mean, I I try. I mean, I work every day. I'm always in the studio. I mean, some days I'll go downstairs and I'll I'll paint from like ten in the morning till six and pretty much go straight. And then some days, you know, my wife and I would take our pups on a walk or go to the beach in the morning. And then I'll come back and maybe mountain bike and then hit the studio around three and then pay till maybe like eight. So I think it varies. But I think like, because I had so much structure when I had the gallery, when I had the design studio, that I like to sort of, you know, not take for granted, you know, living life and not just, you know, I don't want, I love making work. But sometimes if, I, if I'm in the studio like all week, you know, I'll go anywhere or see anyone. I start to go a little crazy, you know.
0: Yeah, I you get agree. like
1: cabin fever in a way, you know.
0: Yeah, I've been feeling that this week actually. Like, I'll I'll come in in the morning, and then I won't. And because it's winter here, I'll leave and it'll be dark. And I feel like I haven't. I've just been in this one room all day. I yeah, haven't, haven't haven't really spoken to anyone. I haven't moved my body properly.
1: I mean, yeah, that's that too. Like, I try to exercise. I mean, I'm getting older now, so I always have to make sure that I that I'm, I mean, I mountain bike a lot, so that's sort of my, my go-to for keeping myself physically active. And, and, you know, I think if, I think if you're in the studio all day, I think it's great cause you get into rhythm, but I think sometimes you need you need a little bit of space outside the studio so that when you come back, you feel refreshed.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. So um, so do you have a, sorry, go. Go, I'm good. Uh, so do you have a, uh, a dream project you'd love to work on?
1: That's a good question. I think it would be rad to get like a really huge commission piece that's integrated into a building, you know, maybe in the lobby, you know, something you spend like a year working on, like not a mural, but something that's like site specific that actually integrates into the architecture. I think something like that would be real rewarding.
0: Yeah, totally. That'd be great. Um, you can have your version of the bean.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I've done, I've done, you know, commissions and stuff with sculptures, but I think like to be able to paint something, I've seen some restaurants in the UK that where people did paintings that took like two years that like wrap the whole entire restaurant and go up on the ceiling and everything. And that's so amazing. You know, like some of the stuff like that Moreau would do, um, not Moreau, um, uh, Magritte did some big commission pieces for restaurants and stuff, which are really incredible when you see them in the space, you know, how they had interacts with the architecture and in the, the the interior design
0: mm. that sounds great
1: lends itself to just like you know a painting on a wall you know
0: yeah yeah totally uh it's i like um i like when people work with the uh the architecture i think it's um sometimes you know it can be missed if you just slap it on the on the painting on the space but um i think through uh you know especially if you come from like graffiti and street art you worked with um different shapes and, and urban environments it's um if you can bring that into a fine art perspective and really work with the space it can have a lot more impact on the viewer
1: yeah for sure i mean that's like when 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 i first saw banksy stuff like on the streets in the 90s i remember thinking like wow i love the way he integrates it in with the street rather than just like you know a lot of graffiti artists would just tag anything but I think he really thought about the context of like where he was putting his stuff and how it was going to interact with with the with the public and i thought that was so brilliant um so i think like yeah when you when you when you take that into mind i think it's it's a it's, a, it's an amazing tool for exposure you know
0: totally so um so where are you wanting to take your art career
1: i don't know man i just you know i just want to just keep it keep myself keep pushing myself, you know, to, to make better and better work. I think right now I'm, um, I started, I think I showed you some of the work I was, I started in March. Um, I'm starting a new series called uh, it's, I'm calling it existential synthesis. And I, I want to show it as a congruent body of work at some point, I think probably not until it probably won't be done until the end of this year. So I'm probably looking at maybe the spring of next year to exhibit the body of work. So that's pretty much my focus now. Um, and it's going to probably be about a dozen works. and it, it kind of all came from, you know, me going to last year on my honeymoon, when I went to Italy and I went to Florence and went to Uffizi and went to gallery academia in Venice and, and saw some of the masterpieces that I'd never really seen. I mean, I've seen, you know, I've been to Louvre in Paris, but I think when I went to Louvre in Paris was in the 2000s. And I think I didn't have the same understanding of, 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 you know the masters back then, or art history and stuff like that. So I think now I have a different appreciation for it. So when I went back this time, I really had time to really let it soak in. I mean, I mean, for example, like Botticelli's stuff. You know, you you've seen his work like all throughout your life. You know, when I was a little kid, I remember seeing his stuff in books, and I didn't really. I thought like, ah, whatever Botticelli. But then when you see the pieces in person, it's just like unbelievable the amount of detail these pieces have, and they're like 500 years old. You know, and it's like. So that whole experience, I came back and I'm just like, okay, I need to just like, I need to just up my game like so much more because these people would spend like years on paintings. And, you know, I think like a month is a long time and it's like really nothing in the context of like when you're creating a great piece, you know?
0: Yeah. It's so good to be hungry. Isn't it for your art?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever be even as remotely as, as good as these people were. I mean, maybe cause they just, they painted all day long and they weren't distracted by things like social media. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it was definitely like, I don't know if you've been to Florence, but it's, 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 it's incredible, man.
0: Yeah. I have been there a couple of times. It's amazing.
1: Oh yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so yeah, I'll just finish this year out with this body of work and, um, yeah, well, I think it's gonna, I have some stuff in the works for possibly Europe or maybe even Japan. So it's just a matter of like, you know, um, seeing where it all lands, you know,
0: mm. Well, that was my next question actually do you have any uh future plans or projects happening
1: well the plan now is just like i said i'm, I'm in talks with a couple of people about exhibiting this work but um yeah i think it's going to take a few months to sort of really nail it down but yeah i can't really say this point but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be somewhere it's going to happen so
0: sure and uh, and finally where's the best place for people to see your work online
1: website is dkinsey.com and then or my instagram dave underscore kinsey which i try to update as much as i can but i think you know like a lot of artists feel with instagram it's like you it's a bit of a distraction from the studio and feeling like you have to nurture it all the time i think it's a great tool um but sometimes i, I have to back away from it just to kind of focus on my work and not really try to like think like okay what am i going to post today you know
0: yeah yeah i i, I don't even think about it i use it That's great. From time to time I've shared a few studios, and I've um, I I used to look around, and I was um, and everyone was on their phones all the time. It's like, come on, come on, paint, you know. I mean, I go uh, to
1: restaurants and I see two couples with each other, and they're both on their phones. I'm like, what are you guys doing? You guys texting each other? Yeah. You know, like it's. I mean, luckily, like the age that I am, I'm very. I've been very savvy with technology since, like, you know, I started working on computers in the early '90s, and so, to me, like the language of of the phones and the language of computers, I'm very much like, I feel so familiar with like riding a bike, but now I kind of feel like I'm more into an, the, the place of like analog or doing things by hand much more than I am on being on the computer. Like if I'm on a computer designing for, even if I'm you know building out a PDF or updating my website and I'm on the computer for more than like a few hours, I'm, I started getting like, I don't wanna be on this space anymore. I, I wanna just be back painting, you know, and working with my hands. I'm yeah. not sure
0: if you feel that way, but oh, I'm 100% with you on that. And I do everything pen on paper as much as possible, like all to-do lists and I, because you know how some people have like a uh, a digital to-do list or a digital calendar, um, right? You know, and they have to open up a digital device in order to say, "All right, what's what's what have I got on today, or what's next?" Yeah, you get stuck on it. So I always um do everything pen and paper. And I have like a wall calendar, like a, a old old-fashioned one. And, um, and I don't get stuck on the screens. I don't open up my phone to see what the next task is and then Instagram's there or, or a notifications there and I lose half an hour or an hour.
1: <laughs> I know it's, it's crazy, but you know, that's the world we're in right now. So it's like, you kind of have to be a part of it to, to be in it, you know, like I see some artists that like, I know they don't like being on there, but they post anyways, because they know that, you know, there's a there's a good amount of traffic they can get from just exposure yeah. and just sharing their work with people. I mean, ultimately the, the goal is we wanna share our work with people, you know? Yeah. So I you don't, can't
0: just like, yeah, sorry. You,
1: you can't just like sit in a cave all day and paint and expect, I mean, some people can do that and be fine with it. But I think like if you're making work, ultimately it's to express something, right? Sure. Know? It is. Yeah. You know, like, so. Don't
0: get me wrong. When I say I'm not interested in it, like, I, I mean, I don't like I use it. I use Instagram, but I just don't yeah. think about it. I, do, I never try to beat the algorithm. I ne- I don't think, Oh, it's how long has it been since my previous post? Do I need to post today? I just don't think about it unless I've got um, something that I really want to promote. That's when I um, I get I get into gear.
1: <laughs> For sure, yeah. And you know, there's I've read numerous artist interviews with different people of all levels in the art world. That you know, some of them are like, I had to just shut down my account because it was just too much pressure in my subconscious about like having to post and having to be participate in that whole world. You know. And I totally get it. And, uh, you know, I, I've kind of been backing off it over the past couple of years because I just, I kind of feel like I use that tool for what I need to use it for. And then I don't want to just like, you know, run it in the ground for me, you know? Yeah. So. Hardly. But I don't know. I don't, what, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next, you know, what's going to be the next thing, you know, it's probably going to be some virtual place that everyone goes to and like hangs out with each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, as long as we can still, uh, as long as we don't have to be there,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can just send send your uh, your your fake fake self, your little three D animation person. Yeah. Uh, as long
0: as there's still space to paint, that's all. That's all I'm I'm interested in.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the more technology gets integrated into what we do, I think the more um, the more important painting and, and and writing by hand and you know making music by hand becomes becomes more. Um, more important
0: you know don't you think yeah i, I totally agree because i i know um an artist i i follow posted on um instagram the other day all about ai and art and he said well that's me out of a job and i thought are you crazy like ai, AI can't replicate what we do especially if you stand for something with your art and you create your own style and everything <laughs> like how, how can a how can a computer trump that
1: yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's. I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting future. I think by the time we're older, I don't know, we might just be scratching our heads, thinking like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I, I do think the bottom line with with fine art, I think the importance in, in the craft and the importance of like doing it by hand and in the in the, you know, sort of being participating in the, the 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 making of the work as a human being. I think that's always going to stand stand the test of time for sure.
0: Yeah totally
1: because
0: don't forget as well like in uh when the camera was invented they said that they thought that was going to be the death of painting
1: oh yeah for sure
0: yeah look where we are today
1: yeah i mean photography now in the art world it's it's such a slim part of the market you know it's not even i mean you know it's not even really a player when it comes to painting and you know i mean paintings are really called pictures you know Mm. and so yeah i mean i like i I shoot photos a lot on my iphone just because that's my way of sort of looking at the world around me and and processing it like i'll see i just naturally see things and i'm like oh i gotta take a picture of that because it just looks interesting to me and like i actually made a, a book on blurb i think like last year of all these photos i had on my computer like probably like i would say at least a decade 12, maybe 12 years worth the pictures I had just sitting on a hard drive. And I started going through them and I started finding all these pictures I took. And I was like, wow, I really like these. And I want to somehow put these into a place where I can look at them all in, at once. And obviously, you know, I would had to make like a 10,000 page book, you know, but I made a book that was about 100 pages and it had 100 images. And it was nice to be able to, to have that book and have a tactile version of something I can put on the table and actually look at and spend time with, you know, Sure. So, cause you know, the, all the digital stuff we, we make and, and produce just becomes like, it just becomes like more things to add to your hard drive, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've been, i um, thinking about that as well. I've got a whole list of, um, you know, different eras of my life and things that I've, I've done. And, uh, you know, and I want to make all these, um you know, those blurb books and get a whole whole series of them. Because there's so, yeah, I mean, like if you just think about, like, you know, even just, you know, paintings from over whatever decade, and it's like, oh, it'd be so good to have a, a book just to flick through all that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, memorializes moments, you know?
0: Totally. Because the hard yeah. drives break.
1: <laughs> I know they do. You got to yeah. have something left over when it all burns down.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Any. Anyway, Dave, uh, it's been great chatting to you. It's been a real honor having this conversation as I said I've been a fan of your art for decades now um and it's uh yeah it's it's been really good to find out more about you and your uh your practice and your uh, the, your history with art and yeah it's been cool. great
1: thank you thank you it was a pleasure talking with you and I enjoyed being on your uh, your podcast hopefully you get lots of listeners and they can we can share our world you know
0: yeah exactly